1: This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Basically. It's me, Stephanie. As you know, I am on leave at the moment, but we have decided to re release an episode from our archive that did really, really well in 2021. So have a listen. If you've listened to it already and you remember it, share it with someone who you think might enjoy it. And if you haven't listened to it, you're in for a treat. Hello and welcome to Basically the Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, And with me in studio today, I have a very impressive man. He is the same age as me and makes me feel like I have achieved nothing in my life because he has achieved so much. He has been the Minister for Health during a pandemic. He is now the Minister for Higher Education. Welcome to the studio, Minister Simon Harris. I have had so many requests, genuinely so many requests on Instagram being like, can you please get Simon Harris on? Oh, geez. Do you feel like <laughs> a little bit, you, you did kind of turn into a celebrity there for a while during the, during the pandemic. Did that feel weird?
0: I, I never thought of it like that, but it, it just felt weird that, weird but really nice actually that you kind of built up this connection with people because it happened entirely by accident. Um, obviously the pandemic happened, but then I just started kind of talking to people directly um, as much for actually my own human and mental connection. health and yeah. human connection, because I was sitting there in the Department of Health often late into the night, and so on, well, just maybe I'll let people know what I was at. but but, what I got completely overwhelmed by was the, the, the when people started talking back to me, and <laughs> the response, the that response. I actually got back, so like you'd you'd kids from right across the country, you know. Sending me letters, letting me know how they were getting on, making me pictures of explaining what they were doing for lockdown, telling me they were missing their granny. And then you'd then you'd people at the complete other end of the age spectrum as well. Um, you know, some people send me scarves and, you know, specially made face masks. It was, but it was I don't know it was lovely because as a as a politician, you're always kind of communicating. But it was the first time in my political career I actually felt a connection do you know very very weird but I
1: think it was because it was such a chaotic time and we needed to wrap ourselves around someone who was speaking sense and I think there was so much science talk and so yep. much or not and all this kind of stuff that you speaking directly into Instagram or wherever it sure. was that was like, OK, I understand this. This is an actual man. And for me and a lot of my friends who became fangirls of yours, it's because you're the same age as us. We're like, sure. we can't even yeah. manage our own life. How is this? 33? Well, I can't
0: manage mine either. You should. <laughs> you just manage <laughs> the nation. I just manage my job. <laughs> but, uh, I know I'm only joking, but uh, no, it was... I just decided, like, I actually learned a huge amount about myself and I learned a huge amount about politics. And I think I learned a huge amount about people, actually, um, through all of this, which was, and perhaps the fact that the election was all over, right? So the election was out of the way. I didn't know what was going to happen next. So there was no politics in it, right? There was, there was no, no one was, no one was campaigning for an election, but that was all done and dusted. And actually, what I learned from it, and I genuinely learned from it was if you actually dispense with the rehearsed, dated, rotten kind of speaking points that you know we all regurgitate as politicians and you actually just do that you know radical thing of just talking as a human being to people um, people will respond and then if you just if you just tell them it as it is or as you understand it as you, yes. uh, you know what I mean like so I, I, I think that's what it was I'm not a public health expert I'm not a doctor I was learning all this as well and all I was just trying to do was whether it was good news or bad news and it was often bad news was just kind of level with people and say look here's what they've told me here's what it means and then here's what we're going to get
1: through yeah. It, yeah. I think we've really appreciated that honesty so take us back a little bit. Sure. When did you, did you grow up wanting to be a politician?
0: <laughs> is that possible? I, I grew up wanting to be a vet. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, and that's what I did my, my first year project in secondary school on. Uh, loved animals, wanted to be a vet. And then what often happens to a lot of people in politics, regardless of their politics, is something happened in my own life that kind of sucked me into politics. So my my little brother, as I always call him, he's not that little anymore, he's about 25 I think, but my younger brother, uh, Adam, was born um, with what we termed at the time Asperger's syndrome, kind of high-functioning autism. And I, I'm the oldest, there's my sister in the middle, then my brother, and I suppose our family was left with this kind of bundle of joy without knowing what the hell autism was, what Asperger's was, how to deal with it, and... As a kind of moody, opinionated teenager in Greystones, I decided to, my parents were too busy trying to look after Adam. I decided to to kind of get involved. So I, I called a public meeting in my hometown. It Sounds like such a weird. I
1: thing called in, it. it? it sounds like I'm started, just imagining you with a bell <laughs> saying these things. Yeah, you such a random
0: teenager. But I called a public meeting in my hometown, and there was a simple question of: <laughs> Are you living with anyone with autism? You know, have you any information? Can you help? And it was in this church hall in. Um, How was, did you organize it? Like Facebook. So I'm even trying to remember. No, because it wasn't a Facebook, I don't think. Um, I think we put up a few leaflets and a few posters in the local shop in Greystones and um, I actually don't remember that but I think yeah. Word of Mouse and I think yeah. we stuck up a few posters and stuff. It was a February. I always remember it was a February. It was really cold and about 60 people turned up in the hall. Wow. And um, yeah, and and again it was really weird because they were people who I lived in a community with but I didn't know that they too were living with someone with autism on the like. Right. Anyway, long story short, we decided that night we were kind of going to help each other out and, you know, if trade stories as to how different families were coping but also to come together and do some kind of interesting things. So a lot of kids with autism have sensory issues and, um, you know, they maybe couldn't go to the cinema um, back then as other kids could because they might, you know, might uh, might like the darkness or the Too smells. Or, so, so we actually rented the local cinema in Greystones and had it like as for any families with children with autism. We organised different summer camps, just kind of random things you do as a community. And then we started campaigning. We started realising, hang on a second, like why do our kids or my brother, why can't they go to the local school? And there was a big new secondary school being built near where I live in Kilkul. And we campaigned to make sure that that school had a an autism facility in it. And slowly but surely, I was meeting politicians and I was campaigning and I was kind of getting sucked into the whole political world. Um, eventually, I met Enda Kenny. And um, I always remember Enda Kenny saying to me, he said, you know, you can keep on. He was leader of the opposition. He was traveling around the country meeting disability groups. And we were one of the groups he met. And, you know, I was giving him what was was about all the problems in the world and, you know, again, moody, opinionated teenager and he kind of said to me, you know, you can kind of keep on giving out about politicians or you can get involved and I always remember that um, and I'm always very grateful to him for it. So I did. So I joined Young Fine Gael and I started campaigning.
1: And would and you have his been history. a Fine Gael family like, or was it just that he said that to you that made you go, yeah. that's the party? So we'd be,
0: a, I suppose traditionally, like, like a lot of families it would have been a civil war family. So my dad's side, so my parents were apolitical. Right. Um, okay. Like they were kind of involved in the Communities, parents, associations, but not politics. Um, my dad's family traditionally voted kind of Fianna Fail. Mm-hmm. My mom's family traditionally Fine m- Grew up in an apolitical household. Like the idea, if you had to tell my parents or my brother or my sister that like we'd be involved in politics, that would have just seemed bizarre. Yeah. Um, before we took the plunge, but it's so it's, it's a very long winded way of saying it's what happens to a lot of people. You find an issue and. You, you you try to make a difference on that issue, and before you know it, you're in too deep. <laughs> and what made you then decide? Okay, now I'm actually going to run for
1: in a general election. So or was that? Did you? you so I ran for
0: the council first. So the more I, the more, the more I got involved, the more I really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed this idea of. It sounds, sounds kind of naff when politicians say this, but I really did enjoy this idea, of kind of mucking in and trying to sort out local issues. And well, it's very with local satisfying when you start seeing results is. and you realise you can affect change. That's right, no, that right. And, and like to this day, I, I don't buy this kind of cynical attitude. Like you, you can get stuff done. And I was realising, you know, that we were able to like campaign for skate parks in the community or a better dart service. And you know, you were working with people to to get things done. Um, and then in twenty, I suppose, I suppose, in many ways. I probably got elected to the door because of the economic collapse. So in 2011, Fine Gael already had two seats in Wicklow, um, and I was stuck on the ticket, probably as the sweeper, the no hope, or whatever yeah. you know, the, the 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 token third candidate. Um, but obviously in 2011 there was a massive vote for Fine Gael, the collapse of the economy and all that sort of stuff that preceded it, and uh, I got elected to the door that way. Um, and yeah, then I've been elected. Um, yeah, three times into of the
1: Fair news And that first time you were elected, that first time you walked into government buildings, were you like, what is happening? Or at that point were you like,
0: no, I can do this. No, it was, I have a very good friend, uh, a very good friend called, uh, he won't mind me saying, Stephen O'Shea. And Stephen used to work for this into Creighton. And um, Stephen apparently looks a little bit like me. And people used to think I was working for Lucinda Creighton. and the, oh, the ushers used to say to me, you know, oh yeah, you know, you're collecting like Deputy Creighton's poster. Like they actually genuinely thought I was I <laughs> I was I was Lucinda Creighton's parliamentary assistant. Um, so it definitely, it definitely, because I was only one 24 and probably looked about 12 yeah um, or I remember I was because uh, I was the youngest TD on my first day in the Dáil which is usually just about kind of getting the photos with your family and settling in and stuff I was uh, I was asked to nominate Enda Kenny as Taoiseach um, which is a tradition that Enda felt strongly about that the youngest TD in the Dáil stands up and nominates their party leader to be Taoiseach and I remember standing up and I could actually hear, there's a Miriam Lord column at the time where you could actually hear, she said, she hear Fianna Fáil, TD's whispering, who's the your Who's the, old who's lad, the child? <laughs> yeah, who's the child, exactly. And uh, now I look back and it just seems like a lifetime ago.
1: And what is, what, uh, so when did you first become a minister then?
0: I became a minister, a junior minister in 2014. With um, responsibility for? The OPW, so the Office of Public Works. Right. Which is kind of a really, a really interesting job because, basically the office of public works is kind of the state's caretaker slash landlord so you're responsible for all the public buildings um so uh, things like kilmainham jail dublin castle um you know anything Donna rail all of these public facilities right across our right across our country um it's a great chance to get out and about and actually see some amazing kind of heritage sites and the importance that they meant to communities and how they can drive, you know, the local economy, create jobs and the likes in those areas. But also you have responsibility when you're in the OPW for flooding. Oh, wow. And I happened to be the minister for the OPW and I think we had the biggest floods in about 100 years. So I remember, uh, yeah, traipsing around the country in... You probably remember, it it was over Christmas, I think it was in 2015. I remember traipsing around the country around Christmas time, just and it just did not stop raining, and going to these communities that were um like skippery that were destroyed and the. Devastation I'm from Mallow, project. so
1: we know we oh, know our know way all around flooding, flooding. You know all yeah. away, exactly,
0: um, and seeing yeah, so just just meeting people in the most horrific circumstances. So I learned a lot again, a lot about politics, a lot about people, a lot about communities because that role, I suppose, brought me right across the country.
1: And at any point, were you like, I'm only in my twenties, like this is a lot of responsibility, or is the job? Like, are you so supported by civil servants and your team that you're like, actually, we can do this?
0: Yeah, I, I've never been overwhelmed, I don't think, by, by the job. I'm sure I'm sure lots of people think I've been overwhelmed by the job, uh, but I've never I've never felt it because I suppose I kind of compartmentalise life. So if I stopped and thought about it as, you know, Simon Harris back 29 when he was or something, you might go, geez, what am I doing? But actually, I just kind of got on with it, put the blinkers on, just saw it as a job and. Um, and you, you tend to be when you're a minister you tend to be so busy yeah that you, you can't don't start actually
1: stop contemplating like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, yeah
0: you don't actually stop and think about oh wow um, it's only when you it's only when you finish in the roles as I saw when you came out of health it's only when then when you actually realise oh wow <laughs> what a four years that was
1: and then a, a, your first time in cabinet do you get to do you get to choose the portfolio no
0: no no definitely so not. how did that go. Um so I think that was a surprise to everybody, um, including me. Um so again I was a, gonna be a first time cabinet minister. Um Leo was obviously the minister for health at the time. Um the the then Taoq and decided um to ask me to take up the to take up the job. And I remember him I remember I'd met him earlier that day and he said to me, No, no, will you be up for would you be up for a difficult one? Would you be up for a difficult job? And this, what did mean, you in mind then? Well, I thought being minister in general was a difficult job. So I said, oh yeah, yeah, of course, they shook you absolutely up for a difficult job. And I don't know, there'd been lots of rumours I was going to get like social protection or, you know, you read all these things and yeah. nobody really has a
1: clue. Do you read them? Are you like, oh God, that's what I'm getting because this person in the Irish Times thinks so?
0: You do read them, but then you realise that person <laughs> in whatever is only hearing has the no same thing fr- you heard from somebody in a car. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's an echo chamber, but you do. And you wouldn't be kind of human probably if you ignored it. But then I remember he, he brought me into his office and... uh and to sit down there in the chair and he told me this is the chair Queen Elizabeth sat in and Enda was always very I always thought he was very kind of paternal to me and I always I always felt I owed a lot to him because he gave me a lot of chances and uh, he said no no I need you to take on a difficult job will you do health for me and um, I remember coming out of the Taoiseach's office and Francis Fitzgerald was the next to go in and Francis was a, a, a great friend of mine I'd been her parliamentary assistant back in the day and and I was clearly as white as a ghost and she said to me are, are, you, are you okay um, what did you get? What did you get? And I said I got health, and she said, "No, I know you didn't." I said, "No, no, I, I did." I said, oh, "Oh, you'll be great," and then oh, in she God. went. So it was definitely, it was definitely, I think a, shock a vote for of confidence. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And what was the first? So
1: the OPW you had to deal with the floods. Mm-hmm. What was the first big health issue you faced, or like how how does that even work? Like,
0: so I mean, health is just. So I mean, when you become a minister, I mean you're basically taken into a department, no matter what ministry it is, and you're you're basically given the briefing book. Um, is that like a Bible? How big it's, is it's that book? It's a Bible. It's also in health. It's very big, and it's it's basically everything the civil service thinks they need to inform the minister of. Um, is that like this is an issue in you so know Portyuncula?
1: This is happening. Yeah, is that so they specific. Go to each or? of
0: the sections of the department and bring what they would consider to be the significant issues to the attention of a minister. So when you're going into a place like health. It really takes, It probably takes longer, but it definitely takes like six months to actually get through meeting all the stakeholders, meeting the unions, meeting nurses, doctors, going around visiting the facilities, meeting all your officials. It's just such a massive, massive uh, portfolio. And what I always found in it was, I mean, and this is not a, this is not a, like a, a personal gripe of mine, but there, there were so many brilliant things in health, but you always found yourself having to respond to, the, to the thing that went wrong. And, it's and again, the same
1: that's, as like at music festivals people only comment on the toilets if they're awful. No one go. is like
0: there was really good toilets. It's, like, <laughs> it's only the problems that yeah. people see. I like You want you know you wanted to you'd come in every day to tell them. I'm generally the sort of person you'd come in and you'd say like you know let's get this done today and you'd have drawn up your list of your five things or your ten things you wanted to tackle today and then something bang yeah. something happens in some hospital in some part of the country. And, and quite rightly, you're the minister, and everyone wants to know what you're going to do about it. And um, yeah, and is
1: it down to you to go, okay, this is what I'm going to do, or do people advise you? Like, how does that? How can you hold the weight of that on your shoulders? No, people, people,
0: people do it. People do advise you. And actually, I think we're, I think we're really well served actually by our civil service in in, in Ireland. I genuinely do like so. Again, unless, unless you're a minister, maybe you don't get a chance to see this kind of up close and personal. Yeah, so tell but us. You have like really, really hardworking, dedicated people who've been working away in their section of the department or on their issue for quite a long number of years. So old. they don't change as the minister they changes. They don't change as the minister changes. But there there can be, and I have a good relationship with my civil servants, but there can and should be a bit of a healthy tension because you're there in the department not to become... A civil servant or a spokesperson for the department. You are there to be the people's representative in the department. Okay. So sometimes you have to say, "Yeah, I know that's the way we've been doing things for ten years, or twenty years, or thirty years, and I understand why." But actually, there's a know, better. We one. had an election, and there's a program for government, and we now need to do this, that, or the other. And there's always has to be a bit of give and take in that. You know, you because can't, you can't, but you can't make everything your absolute number one priority.
1: But you could come in and change the priority from the previous minister for health. Absolutely. And and the civil servants have to then course correct exactly. even though they've been working on it for five That's years. That's right. I and know. I
0: always felt that must be a real pain in the neck for the civil service when you know, if if you if you keep on chopping and changing ministers. And I felt that particularly in health actually. Um because health is It health needs is, a continuity needs of a continuity. care. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, it really does. And like you'd be launching a ten year plan knowing, knowing that you're not going to be the minister for ten years. And what were the like the
1: proudest moments you had in health where you're like, I actually achieved this?
0: So I don't think I achieved. I don't ever think I achieved anything on my own. But there's there's three things, I suppose. One 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 is one is big, and the others seem relatively small, but they mattered to me a lot. So back to why I got involved in politics and disability advocacy and the likes. I used to meet a lot of people who were fighting for their child's right to get a medical card and having to prove their child had a disability, etc., etc., etc. So we we brought in a law to give every child. In receipt of what they call domiciliary care allowance, so a child with a, a disability, an automatic entitlement to a medical card, and that meant that just meant a lot to me personally because I felt this was this was wrong that every couple of years parents were having to kind of have a row with the HSC over whether their child could or couldn't have a medical card. The other one was um, was we 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 managed to purchase a drug called Orcambi for people with cystic fibrosis, and we had had a very we kinda of had a bad enough record as a country on life expectancy for cystic fibrosis. And thankfully we've made huge progress long before I was there, right? But like we now have much improved um, life expectancy and outcomes for people with CF in Ireland. We have such a high rate of it here in our country. And this drug or it can be that there was a lot of a lot of pressure on me, a lot of um Campaigning by advocacy groups, and if we managed to secure a deal, and we managed to secure a really good deal that guaranteed any Irish patient with CF any updated drugs that came out from that company for the next number of years too. So that that meant a lot. And when I'd, I remember getting off an aeroplane, I can't remember where I was going to. Back when we were allowed to fly. fly places, yeah, back in that world. <laughs> remember that? I remember a, a woman and a man coming up to me on the plane saying that their grandson had started on on Orkambi, and it was going really well and it transformed their their life. I remember walking down him. Um, Mount Street and a man in a van um pulling over and saying he was on our campaign. So, so nice to see the benefits. Yeah. And look, the big the big issue that meant a, a huge amount to me was um was the repeal campaign, um which I felt was just a defining moment for our society. Um, and again a campaign that I certainly didn't lead um but one that I found myself in a position of doing having to do two things. One I suppose one, conduct the referendum campaign and put yeah. forward the case, but but then two after the referendum, actually deliver on what we said we'd do and legislate. And I made some very solemn promises to people during that campaign that if you vote yes, here's exactly what we're going to do. And if you vote yes, we're going to bring in the services by the 1st of January, which was which is an a ambitious big, time frame, yes. but we achieved it. So, um, yeah, we spent a lot a lot of time on that. And I think I saw, saw something really... I, I, again, learned a lot about politics during that time in the sense that I I saw a real yearning from people to get involved in campaigning, and actually i I sometimes feel I'm not sure we 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 as a society harnessed that enough for the first time there was all these not only young people but younger people who came forward and wanted to be involved in their democracy and the likes and I felt there was a huge energy and I actually remember at Dublin Castle the day the results were announced. That was an amazing day. I remember people kind of saying to me what's next, you know, what's next and lots of people have gone on to do the what's next. Some have joined political parties, some have joined other campaigns and other issues but there is, still, there is still a next so I hope we can, I thought we saw, you know, people tend to dismiss Particularly younger people, are kind of not interested in public life, and, thing. and I think they I think that's so wrong. But it's oh, not my experience it's at not all. Mine either.
1: No. It's particularly, and it becomes particularly pronounced when it's sort of a yes no. When it's a referendum, and I saw people taking the momentum that they had from repeal into this current general election, but finding that it was sort of the 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 focus was dissipated because it wasn't a yes or no, and yeah. it, they struggled to to know what was the right thing to do because it was so clear what they wanted to do for repeal, but not so clear in a general election. I think that's
0: right. And then I think, look, there's a view from some people in Leinster House kind of on the equality issue. Sometimes I feel that people, some people think, sure, didn't we do that repeal thing? Isn't, is, you know, have we, have we done that now? And I'm kind of go, no. That like needs we, to be reviewed, doesn't it? It's being reviewed next year. That needs to be reviewed next year. But we still have a... There's an awful lot more to be done. We still have a complete, incomplete system and society when it comes to equality. Yeah, like we really do. I mean, like, there's so much more that needs to be done. In my, in my current brief, like, we still have a situation where our adult literacy rates are really bad. There's people locked out of society because they can't read and right. write. We have real inequality, both both visible inequality and hidden inequality. Um, we have massive issues with addiction that we don't face up to and we still stigmatise people in relation, in, in, in relation to that. You know, you, you can still see. While well, we've come quite a way, I think on things like marriage equality and the likes, you still have uh, still elements of homophobia. You still have, um, when it comes to fertility issues, we're one of the few countries in the world not to have any public funding for IVF, and and yet to regulate um, assisted human reproduction. So th- there's a lot more to do, and I hope I hope we can. I hope everybody it was a very broad coalition of people um, but I hope we can kind of rekindle some of that energy and start to tackle some of those issues.
1: I want to come back to your current brief but how is the how how is the what's the process for for a referendum becoming a referendum? Does,
0: does, Does a minister have to bring it so a minister has to bring a referendum bill. Right, okay. So the Dahl and Shanot have to basically vote to say we're going to have a referendum. But then also, you don't have to do this bit, but it makes sense to do it. You would generally, as a minister, publish the draft legislation. So For if you vote to repeal, this here's how we make the it. law. Yeah. Um, and we decided to do both because... And again, there was a debate about that at the time, but I felt it was really, really important to be able to show people, particularly on such a sensitive issue, what it would actually, what it was look, actually. look like. Because I, I, it, it helped us debunk a lot of myths and That's the thing, I think
1: politics doesn't like a vacuum, no. and so people will just start scaremongering. Right. So then, this year, you change brief. Did you get to choose this one?
0: <laughs> no, no I didn't.
1: And um, how hard is it to all of a sudden not be a minister in one portfolio like is it easy to just like stop thinking about those things stop caring about those things and all of a sudden switch to higher your current brief is higher education
0: So with a long title it's further in higher education and I'll tell you why I think that's important in a second research innovation and science Um, it's the brainchild Neil Martin he had this view which I think is obviously right that uh, he had been the minister for education he'd been the minister for business he felt that there were issues in both departments that didn't get enough focus if you took elements of both combine them together you could have a kind of a powerhouse of a department to plan for our future to look at you, you, you can't deal with adult education whilst trying as a department to work out how you're going to reopen the primary school safely or what the pupil teacher ratio yes. should be and a number of European countries have taken a similar step he also thought that if you had a department that could kind of combine research so look at what Science Foundation Ireland's doing but also our universities are doing to tackle some big changes I, th- I think he was quite visionary in this regard um, and, and 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 that's kind of that role the further and higher piece meant A lot to me, because I think we have a kind of snobby attitude in Ireland to adult education that we need to debunk. Definitely. Um, Like there's so many routes for people to get to where they want to get to. And it's
1: still a thing where you're just, it's just assumed that you're going to go to university. That's
0: right. And And then all we see is people, you know, and it works for some people and with great universities, it's not knocking them. But then you just see a high dropout rate. But you also see, we all learn differently. and we all, and, and we all have different pressures in our lives. So some of us can't go for four years off to Dublin or Galway or somewhere else or Cork and study away. Some of us have kids. Some of us have uh, someone who's dependent on us to care for them. And um, some of us just our minds work in the way that we want to dip in and out. Some of us are in our sixties and we'd like to go back uh, and, yeah. and and do something, and that's good too. So like, it, and some of us like like and need maybe to earn and learn which is the apprenticeship model where you yes. actually get the kind of practical experience along with the education experience. So, yes, yeah, so and no, I'm really excited about the new brief, but it is um, it is a big change. And I suppose leaving during COVID, it, it, to answer your question, of can you can just switch off and say, thanks very much, lads, I'm done with that. Like, no, you can't. You I can't. mean, I had um, I had the, the, the people in the Department of Health had nearly become like a family. You know, you'd take a bullet for them because I'd seen...
1: Well you'd been through a yeah. pandemic together I mean exactly. you were in the middle of it yeah. you and, you're, like and, and you become so kids. proud of them
0: because they like there's people whose names you know from this pandemic so you know Tony Hogan's name brilliant person Ronan Glynn super like these are amazing people who've done great work uh, Philip Nolan I can't say enough about any of these people but I also can't say enough about the people whose names you've never heard of. Yeah, who 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 help them do their magic. <laughs> if you know what I mean, who help them get their press conferences ready, who who help them work out how to effectively communicate what are often really complex issues. Who do the hard graft in the labs and stuff, and I and, and I know them and I know their names, and uh, and, and I'm really really just very proud of them. And so I get a bit I get a bit protective of them when I hear what is often you know it's, it's important people criticise and evaluate, but I know how when when ireland reviews how it dealt with the pandemic there's no doubt there'll be lots of things we could have done differently of course there will but i will always know for as long as i'm alive that it was never for a lack of effort or or, or on their part or dedication on their part because they left nothing nothing in the dressing room they just they just moved into the department of health or the hsc and they they they, they, they and to this day are given it their all which is quite amazing
1: and then are you you're the one who leaves and they stay and a new like do they then or do do well, we've already said that civil servants stay, but do some people, like, are those people now working for Stephen Donnelly? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and they,
0: and, and and that's right and proper, and and, and for he continuity, has, and, and he has a very hard job to do, and you don't want to be that kind of you know awkward character <laughs> lurking in the background, <laughs> but you do feel passionate about it. And look, I'm I'm honoured to still obviously be in the government and getting a chance to contribute a cabinet in relation to these things, and I still find myself glued to the the TV and the Nefed press conferences and the WHO feeds, and you know. A, Reading about but like
1: your vaccines, character—you probably would be anyway, even if you had never been the minister for health, because you're like the date of it. But you are invested even more because that yeah. was your actual job. You just
0: want to You just want to. You just want the job to be done. Like you want to get to a point where you just want to get to a point where people in Ireland can say, "God, we got through that awful time, and it was rotten. We all came together, we did our best, and now it's behind us." And you're just constantly kind of hoping and yearning and reading and trying to find any nugget of hope and optimism because we really need it. And like. One of the things we don't talk enough about is the effect this is having on all of our well-being. Um, so I tend to be quite positive, and even in my public kind of messages to people, I tend to always look for the the hope and the optimism because I think we need that. But I'm really aware of the fragility of people at the moment. Like, people are really fragile. And why wouldn't they be? Which like? is why this Christmas conversation is yes. getting so yeah, sharp. It is. And I think, and without... Uh, make, without being unhelpful in terms of my speculation around that because that'll be you know we'll have clarity on that shortly but but it, but that, that's exactly it it's not that people it's not that people keep talking about Christmas because you know for some kind of frivolous reason it's because it's because what Christmas represents I mean Christmas represents a chance to see your family a chance to see your friends a chance to get together
1: It's also to like together. the pagan version of it is like we're in the middle of winter we need a time yeah. to like lighten up meet people yeah. give ourselves a break from that's the depth
0: right. of winter right. and you know people should know in this country because like we always tell it's kind of back to the health stories like we always tell people when, when things are bad and things are going wrong and it's important they hear that but like we're actually doing very well like compared to other countries still the country's doing really well and that's that is actually down to it is down to kind of our our, behavior, our makeup as it? a people I Know That Face is a movie podcast
1: on the Headstuff Podcast Network, hosted by me, Stephen Porzio. And me, Andrew Carroll. Our show is all about character actors, the type of performers you'll see pop up in supporting roles in blockbusters, the type of people you know the faces, but not the names.
0: Each episode, we pick one particular character actor and discuss a couple of their movies, shining a light on the performer's career while giving listeners plenty of movie recommendations.
1: So the show is a must for cinema lovers. Subscribe to I Know That Face wherever you get podcasts and follow us on Twitter at I Know That Face p one has your job changed because of COVID like how you do your job has that changed much do you think you'd be doing things differently in your current brief if COVID wasn't around yeah I do and it's it's kind of annoying me
0: because like it annoys everybody in Ireland because I want to be able to get out and do things I want to be able to visit universities I want to be able to visit research centres I want to go down to training centres and see how we're going to upskill people to get back to work after COVID and you're obviously limited in that so because I'm a minister and a TD and I've commitments in the Dáil and stuff I I obviously don't have to work from home all the time but you are still working from home and even when you're not working from home you're you're doing all your meetings looking down a, a looking lens down of a lens. camera so and this is the same for everybody my sister changed jobs during the pandemic I don't think she's ever set foot in the in the building of the company she works yeah, for some so people I know have never yeah.
1: met their colleagues in real yeah. life Like, yeah
0: so it is it is it is kind of becoming a, a temporary norm but it's definitely a, it's definitely a different way of working and look some of it's some of it's good you can actually get through a lot you, you don't have to you, know, you don't have to travel meetings. to Lesherkenny to meet people in Letterkenny now, and it's acceptable to meet people, and that's good. And then you can move from Letterkenny. Like yesterday, I was, I did a meeting about the the southeast and the northeast. You know, in normally same you day. couldn't do that yeah. in a day, but but there's there's no substitute for kind of human connection either.
1: What kind of things in your current portfolio are you excited about down the line, like that we might see?
0: It's a, quite a number of things. I mean, the literacy thing, I'm 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 deadly serious about. I'm actually learning more about this. Is that every day. something
1: that? you'd connect with, like that, that you'd be involved with the Department of Education because that's so people who have fallen through the net in primary and secondary school.
0: Yes, but there's also a very distinct, so absolutely, so the better, but, but there's, also, there's also a very distinct piece of work we need to do in recognising that there's a whole group of people who are adults mm-hmm. who can't read and write. And that's not that, they, sorry, not that they can't read and write, that they're, they're having what they call functional, functional illiteracy. So they might struggle to read the Panadol box They might be able to read their ESB bill but not comprehend it fully. Or the big new new one is digital skills, digital literacy. You think because you can pick up your smartphone and look at Facebook that that's digital, you know, that you can use your digital skills. But of course it's not when all of a sudden you now have to work online or study online. So I do feel that if we want to have a truly inclusive society, we need to be really aware that there's a whole group of people who are getting locked out of participating fully. Equally, when we look at things like did a fascinating meeting the other day with the Irish Prison Service. And again, if you look at how do you break intergenerational cycles of deprivation, Mm -hmm. you do it through, you do it through education. Education. You do it through education. And you don't just talk about the education of the prisoner. You talk about the mom at home with Mm -hmm. the three kids who desperately wants to make sure her kids don't go the way that their dad did. Uh, So so I I have some exciting ideas in relation to that. And then also just, I suppose, Two other, two others. I want to change the conversation that we have, as we've already discussed, about further and higher education. So do I. And there was it, no need yeah. for
1: me to go to university. I, I hated really it. Really? I absolutely hated it. Yeah. I like the cor- UCC was brilliant. I loved the course. The people were lovely, but there was no need for me to go. I didn't like the experience. I didn't like the socialising. It made me really anxious, and I would have been much better going straight into my actor training or even just starting to work in theatres and, mm-hmm. and, and doing some sort of apprenticeship with it. I did not end up doing an internship with a theatre company, but there was just this assumption. And like, I'm one of those, I'm the same age as you, so like this Celtic Tiger generation where it was like, just go to university, pick a course, it's free. yeah, It'll be like, just throwing money at you. And then when I got into college, the economy collapsed. But like, at that Celtic Tiger time, it was just like, yeah. just
0: go, why yeah. not? Get a free degree. That's the thing, but I, I want, like, this has to be cultural because you need the mums and dads of Ireland when they sit down with their son or daughter to say, here's your full range of options and we need to give the mums and dads that information. Yeah. So we need to not kind of kill off the conversation with that CAO form. What will I put on the CAO form? Yeah. We need to have a much broader conversation. And then the last piece, back to my disability piece, but we we have to recognise that there's a whole group of people with disabilities that the conversation we're having with some of them, particularly people with intellectual disabilities when they leave the school system is, what daycare place do you want next in the h s c not where what do you want to do with your life? How do yeah. we help get you employment? How do we help you get the skills to have a meaningful adult life as well
1: and is that something that you're in charge of or is that something that then you would speak to minister Rabbit about like do you because it's education is it
0: you or because the person involved is disabled? it's her so both really but i but i but i i I, I, uh, I love working with- co- government colleagues, but i I hate this idea of kind of. Sometimes the phrase interdepartmental yeah. is somewhere you send things to die. Oh, right, right. okay. So we'll set up an s- interdepartmental committee. Oh. Oh, that's like, the there's grant, we should all have interdepartmental conversations, but I am the minister for further and higher education. We have signed up to the youth guarantee at a European commission level and it says every adult, young person in Ireland should have an opportunity to have a meaningful education and access to skills post-school. It doesn't say every young person except the following groups of people, people who are now going to exclude. Yes. And you know, so that's the thing. So it sort is your responsibility, no matter it what is, the person but no one can do anything on their own. No one's an island. But yeah, and I, I so I want to drive some of these through. I don't want to just be a minister for their universities. Yeah. Or a minister for those of us who are already getting on grand in life. <laughs> I want to actually try and Help. shine a spotlight on issues that, that we just don't talk about. Um, for whatever reason. You know, they don't come up on the doorsteps, but they're real. And and we all know people in our own families, in our own communities. Who they affect. And when, so currently there's a coalition and Mihol Martin is Taoiseach
1: and Leo radcliffe is tarnished out, but that's due to switch around in two and a half years or yeah, two now or 20, whatever it is. or something, yeah. So does that mean that, will you, when, when Leo Varadkar is Taoiseach again, will you still be this? Or is there going to be a cabinet shuffle or so is that be, unknown?
0: It's, it's unknown, but presumably when a new Taoiseach becomes Taoiseach, there'll be a reshuffle of some description. I oh. would imagine
1: So in another two years there'll be another You could be out in your
0: ear you could be left at this job or you could be put in another job and that's politics
1: That <laughs> is politics The poor civil servants are really <laughs> like oh, shaking their
0: fists. <laughs> at None no, of the poor politicians under what might like, we doing in two years but yeah. Yeah, you got to change your yeah, pace yeah, exactly. Hopefully
1: Covid will be gone by then Or we live in hope but I think it will
0: There's there's a vaccine on the way I think
1: Yeah we just had Luke O'Neill in and ah. uh, he was telling us that he thinks by next summer uh electric picnic might happen Oh wow Yeah <laughs>
0: This is
1: good And, and uh, uh,
0: that's right Luke will probably be invited to headline <laughs> it Yeah he probably will and he'll be well c- able to do Celebrity.
1: Yeah. I don't know if Tony Hoolihan will approve of it. Um <laughs> but we can see. Um what are your f- how do you find your job apart from like the work that you do? Sure. H- how do you find like being in politics in in a time of social media? Do you, does that impact you at all? I mean, I because so many of people that I know and follow you are obsessed with you and kind of love you I can't imagine you get too much hate but maybe I'm wrong Well, no I do
0: get like a lot of it <laughs> Oh God And and I don't say that in a kind of feel sorry for myself way but because I I, lo- I actually love social media I'm not sure whether it's good for me or bad for me but I actually perhaps above that generation but I, lo- I find it a way of being able to directly communicate with people and I actually think it's kind of an important part of the job telling people what you're at what you're doing yeah. letting them see and so I enjoy it and but, but there's a lot of bile on it. And, and my worry about it is this. And by the way, I don't say this to suggest I'm some sort of saint or to recuse myself from any of this before people think that I, I, I include myself in this criticism. It has it has helped us all demonise our opponents. Yes. And it's I very black and, and white. I don't give myself a pass on that. I think my own party, I, I, I leveled the charge at lots of parties, including myself and my own party. But like, we have, I think social media has helped us kind of dehumanise people because you can just kind of hide behind the things, shoot off an L tweet, calling somebody some horrific word. That you would never no, in a million you'd never years say it. on a doorstep. No. Like,
1: you would never, I bet you've never had that sort of bile thrown
0: at you never, in never, person. Never, never, and, never. And, and I think people in this country are generally sound kind of class. And I get yeah. on, you know, I I, like, I really enjoy getting out meeting people. But, but it does, what's happening in social media now is beginning to creep in to political debate, and this is not just in Ireland. I mean, Trump, Brexit—you know—I I mean, this sort of kind of course, them and us. I even saw an article written the other day by some somebody who said, you know, there's a them and us, and the politicians are are the them. them. No, we're not. We're the us. We're the we are. We are literally though, like you're literally, literally us. people <laughs> from the community elected to represent other people, and you know if we do a bad job or you think we're shockingly bad at it, vote us out or run yourself or tell us or talk to us. Or, but but I do think there's a, there's a kind of coarseness now that's come into public life and public discourse that we have to call out.
1: I think so because I've seen it, like it's very clear in American politics and you can often see that sort of, and it's kind of violent and brutal language used about Trump or about the liberal left or all this, but it's starting to seep in yeah. to our politics and I always thought, you know, Irish politics, grassroots, you know, we like, I see you walking down the street. Hiya, Simon. Hiya, Leo. It's casual and people are safe, but it's starting to get very fractured.
0: No, I think it is. And and I mean, when we're at our best, right? So one of the things that you asked me what I was proud of earlier, I talked about the repeal campaign. I mean, there were no party labels. We all just identified a big issue and we got on with it together. And we fixed it. Public health, alcohol bill, something I brought in work to people across the political divide covid covid yeah best example of everybody not just politicians but people of all sorts of different you know backgrounds persuasions coming together now that's not to be naive i'm a practicing politician there's some things i absolutely can't stand about the policies of other people but i but we all have to including me stop and pause the difference between criticizing a policy or demonizing a person mm-hmm. and and i'm worried about it i'm really worried about it because i think i think the I, I think I think if it if it's left unchecked, I think it brings us to a place that isn't who we are. I tried to say this in, in the doll recently on the motion of, of confidence on Leo, right? Without reopening that issue, I heard I heard this. We they, all make uh, mistakes. mistakes, and if they were going to do this idea of jumping up and down, and now this is not not questioning political accountability, but the off with their head brigade that everybody you know that nobody ever makes a mistake, and if somebody does make a mistake, we absolutely. Castigate them and demonise them, and, and like I say, that's that's not no one has a monopoly on that. That applies to all parts of the political spectrum.
1: I think that the difference between it's dangerous because there's difference between holding someone accountable mm. and cancelling someone. And if that's right. the that's
0: a you've said it in a better way what I was trying to say.
1: But if it, and if the response to a mistake is to cancel someone, we are going to be in and out of general elections every month for the rest of our lives because people make mistakes. Also people show poor judgment like what what is sufficient is it okay to say i'm sorry there's due process i'm going to do these things and then we'll move on now we're talking about various things from 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 that leo issue to 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 other things and some things are mistakes and some things are criminal and you know there's there's a wide variety and there is but when people, you know, the, who becomes the judges and juries? The judges and juries. Like, that is why
0: we have a legal <laughs> yeah, system. That's why yeah. we have due process. I think that's right. But I, I, I think just to take a step back from that, if we, if we stop debating each other's policies, and by the way, there's loads of space to have rows and arguments in that space, right? If that's what we're looking for. There's loads of issues we disagree on and we can tease them out, debate them. But if we stop doing that and decide that the politics is just about calling each other names, um... Or creating caricatures of each other, or trying to define our opponents um, in nasty terms, and like I say, there's no monopoly on this. But if we decide to do that, I think it's going to lessen the political debate, and I think it'll actually push good people out of politics. But I think it'll also actually the the danger then is that there's actual a disengagement on the issues.
1: I think I think you're right because I see when when even when political parties get bitchy and petty amongst themselves the public disengage it's just like oh you're just having a spat in public and the news you're taking up news headlines you're taking up newspaper coverage with your fights and now we don't know what's happening
0: yeah.
1: in the news yeah. because it's just like two of ministers are fighting with each other about that's something
0: it. yeah that's it like and you, and you just you know i mean i i go into i go into a uh Schools when you were allowed going to go schools uh, before COVID, and you'd you'd meet lots of um, even in primary schools and secondary schools, and you'd ask the kids in the class, you'd say, you know, is anybody here inter- interested in politics? And you know, the odd time someone might stick up their hand to give you a, a bit of a supportive <laughs> effort, um, and then and then you'd but most people would look at you kind of with kind of blank faces. And then you'd say, well, hang on a second, are, are you interested in whether you can go to college when you finish school? hands would go up. Are you interested in climate, hands would go up. Are you interested in helping, you know, people in vulnerable positions around the world, hands would go up. Are you interested in whether you can buy a house, hands would go up, so on and so forth. And I'm like to them, that's what politics is. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but if those of us in politics allow it to be defined by the punching Judy, shouting and roaring, name calling, they'll just switch off, they will.
1: And, and, that, it-
0: and that's, that's the choice we all have to make.
1: I think the more it's called out in the terms that you called it out last week, at, last week in the doll, or you know, just highlight because I think people sometimes they maybe forget and it's like, hang on, let's not do this. And some people do it intentionally, and that's very overt, and I think it's transparent. And people are like, I'm not going to believe you because you're just hmm. clearly playing a game here. But the more people are reminded, hang on, we're better than this. Come back to yourself. Yeah. Then <laughs> maybe yeah. we won't go the way of America.
0: Yeah, I hope not. Because, and and I take some, you know, I I think the Biden, actually the Biden kind of mantra around this is actually something we can learn from. He is a man who clearly is of a different generation to us. He's a man who has serious kind of convictions and views and is well able to call out political opponents. But there's kind of a humanity and a decency to him. And hopefully that will be a, a beacon of hope from the states rather than the you know.
1: And closer to home, I think I heard uh, Minister Dunne speaking on the Tonight Show um, in response to Pierce Doherty and his criticism of the budget. And Pascal is someone who we've had on the podcast, mm. who I just feel is so statesmanlike and never gets involved in this sort of pettiness. And his response to calling it out, being like, "You wrote your criticism of my budget before I'd even written my budget," was enough and said everything he needed to say in this in the similar way to Biden. It's just like I'm just not getting involved in this. Yeah,
0: Pascal does it very well. I mean, he, he can he could hold his own and debate with the best of them without, without lowering the tone of the debate. Yeah. And that's what we all need to do.
1: Before we let you go, is there anything that you would say to people who, like yourself, have, have, have an issue in their own ha- house or in their own family and want to become, like, who might think about getting into politics but not, are not too sure how to do it, whether they should or how to go about it?
0: So firstly, please don't believe that you can't. So, like, I'm kind of a testament that anybody um, can do this. Um, like, absolutely anybody. If I've managed to do it, you can absolutely do it. If you're passionate about an issue, focus on that. Focus on it. Believe in it. Starting in your own and community. You can, starting in your own community. Whatever it is that makes you tick and then find a vehicle. For, for for some people that'll be setting up an organisation for some people it will be joining the residence group for some people it'll be a community council or a sports club for others it'll be a political party for others it'll be not a political party but being an activist but just do it because we need good people and and we have to reject this cynicism of ah nobody cares you can do nothing. My, my experience generally is when when bad things happen it's generally out of ignorance rather than actual nastiness. Malice yeah. Um, or malice yeah exactly. Most people in this country are good decent people and if you're passionate about an idea and present it to people in your own community you will be shocked by how many people or perhaps not shocked but you'll be pleasantly surprised by how many people will be there willing to help you. And my other advice particularly to, to young people as somebody who has you know, used to constantly be told in the early days, um, you know, learn, learn, learn to walk before you can run, and now is not your time. And well, slow down, there, Sonny. It's just run, baloney. Just start. Like, there, there is no time. Run, run as fast as you can. It, but, but once you have a passion and you know why you're running and you know where you want to get to with it.
1: Minister Harris, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into that episode and if you enjoyed this episode please I'd be so grateful if you would share it on your social media or just tell one person about it that is really the best way to get the message out there and find a bigger audience share it on your socials or um, give us a if you can't do that just rate us or review us wherever you get your podcasts This week as usual our music is by Only Ruin we are produced by the Headstuff Podcast Network our artwork is by Kahlo Gara And we record in the podcast studios. See you next week. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the podcast studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.